Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, hello everybody. I've got the pink iPad with me again tonight. It's sort of... um, Pride meets Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) Now I need to remember the code for it. There we go. It's borrowed, I hasten to add. I was just reading on the, um, on the sheet there that Steve Kennedy is the Michelangelo of preachers. It um, made me begin to wonder what the rest of us are. <laughs> who's, who's the Picasso of, of preachers? <laughs> and who's the Damien Hurst of preachers? <laughs> Whose sermon resembles the, the um, shark in the tank? <laughs> Or the half a dead cow. <laughs> anyway, you can let me know at the end which, um, which artist I resemble. Well, just to end all the laughter, let me tell you, um, um, I'm here to talk about suffering tonight. <laughs> You know, sometimes suffering self-inflicted. I remember as a child, um, I had um, never paid any attention to the, to the cigarette lighter in the car until um, one day my dad um, happened to um, show me how it worked. Um, and um, from then on, I was fascinated. And um, he said, um, make sure you never touch the, um, the hot bit in the middle of it. <laughs> So next time I was in the car and he wasn't, I, I test the thing out. I think I tried it on the seat first. Out. It melts round circles in the seat. And of course, the next thing was my thumb. Self-inflicted pain. We, we keep on um, inflicting suffering on ourselves as, as the years go by, don't we? We just do it in different ways. As a 14-year-old, I remember I was sitting in the youth group one night. The pastor was taking the group, and he'd give us, given us this exercise to do, which was to, um, I think it was to, it was to learn some Bible verses from Romans that, um, that formed a sort of sequence pointing people toward, towards Jesus. And... Um, I was um, sitting reading through my notes and the pastor was circulating, asking people questions, making sure we'd all got a hold of it. Um, I'm sitting there on the floor fiddling with the chair next to me and at, that, at this particular point, for, for some reason or other, my hand was underneath the, the leg of the chair and the um, pastor comes across the room and I... Um, um, Briefly, this thought goes through my head, maybe he'll sit on the chair. And then I thought, nah, nah, he's going somewhere else. Um, Two seconds later, he sits on the chair. And 
my hands underneath the, the leg. And um, I'm not wanting to cause any embarrassment here. I'm not wanting to cause any embarrassment for me because it looks pretty stupid having your hand under the chair. And I'm not wanting to cause any embarrassment for him because he's, um, he's sitting there inflicting great pain on me. So I resolved to keep quiet. And I'm sitting there going, but only on the inside. Um, on the outside, I'm answering the pastor's questions about the, about the verses in Romans and wishing he would go away, um, which he eventually does. And I get to, get to um, relieve, the, the, relieve the pain. But you have to keep a stiff upper lip, don't you? Anyway, avoid that sort of suffering. That sort of suffering is totally unnecessary. Tonight's message is not about self-inflicted suffering. It's about what comes your way through no fault of your own. You're just living your life. You're serving God. You're plugged into church. And wham, life hits you with something totally unexpected. And you think, where did that come from? And often we can't tell where it came from. And often there's not much point in trying to work out the answer anyway. Much more important question is, What are you going to do about it? Because you see, suffering takes you places. And your response to suffering will determine where it takes you to. We're continuing the Lifescape series tonight. And uh, we're continuing to look at Romans 8. You know, I really love the idea of a Lifescape. That that we look out as if from from a viewpoint, from a hill... Uh, we're, we've just come back from a week in Ireland and we were looking out from, on the beautiful scenery from some viewpoints. And of course, um, when you look out on the scenery, you can't, you can't change that landscape that you look at. But the great thing about a lifescape is you look out on your life and it's subject to change. Yeah. If there's an ugly bit up ahead, you don't have to put up with that ugly bit yeah. because God gives us principles to to wipe the ugly bits out of our lives and if you see a mountain ahead that's obstructing your path you know what did what did jesus say speak to the mountain and it will move romans 8 verse 18 i consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of god to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I think we'd all agree that the world needs a revelation of the glory of God. And I think what we would really like to happen is that Jesus appears personally in front of each one of our friends, neighbors, colleagues, etc. Everybody who needs, who needs God. Uh, Jesus appears 
Um, they fall down on their knees. Jesus um, explains how to be saved. They repent, um, commit to him, and job is done. But you know, what this verse tells us is that it's not Jesus who's going to be revealed. It's you. And we don't fully understand why God has chosen to work this way, but he has. And we need to catch hold of that revelation that God's plan is to reveal his glory through you and I. He wants you to reflect his glory to the watching world. And what this passage is saying is that there's a pathway that we enter. And there are ups and downs in that pathway. There are brilliant high spots and there are low spots where it can be pretty painful. But straight from the heart of God, Paul writes these words about those painful bits. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And of course, that glory will be fully revealed one day when we're in heaven. But the process starts now. The Bible talks about us going from one level of glory to another. That's you and I. That's God's fashioning and changing us and revealing his glory in us. And we're going to have a look tonight at the, the life of a guy called Joseph. And you may know this story. Joseph was a dreamer. He, he had dreams. And... He began to get these dreams that were, were looking into the future. And in one of the dreams, um, he was represented by a, a sheaf of wheat. And all the, the, his other brothers were represented by other sheaves of wheat. And his brother's sheaves, they bowed down before his. And then he had another dream, which was a similar sort of idea, where they... Where they the moon and the sun and the, and the stars um, all bowed down before him. And I think Joseph was a bit of a, an irritating little brother. Any, anybody here got an irritating little brother? <laughs> or maybe you are an irritating little brother. <laughs> anyway, I think Joseph went, um, went up rather smugly to his brothers and... Um, and um, told them about these dreams with a rather superior, irritating air. And those brothers were extremely irritated. And their response is something that I, I hope you've never done to your uh, annoying little brother. But, you know, this dream, yes, Joseph was irritating. Yes, he, he, was, um, he was making the most of it. But this was a dream from heaven. This was an insight into the future. And it's a dream of the glory of God being revealed in Joseph. And you know, God has a dream for each one of us. God has a dream for this church. God has a dream for the future. And we need to catch hold of that dream because we need to keep looking at that dream of the future when, when the present sufferings come, which for Joseph, they do pretty quickly. Because along come some circumstances which seem to put an end, on a natural level, seem to put an end of any possibility of that future glory. Because Joseph's brothers, they grab him and sell him into slavery. And it very much looks at that point that like Joseph's dream was coming to nothing. There are many ways that Joseph could have responded here. He could have given up and had a pity party. 
You know, many of us do when, when trouble hits. He could have run away. Maybe not immediately, but as time went on and he was established in the house, uh, he, could, he could have run away. But, you know, running away, yes, it would have taken him out of those particular present sufferings of slavery, but it would also have taken him out of the plans and purposes of God. Look what actually happened. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was in everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And here we see the dream is still alive, despite the circumstances. Why? Because God is there. Because God is with Joseph. And, you know, God never leaves you. God's with you in the high points, and God's with you in the low points. God's with you when you're free. God's with you when you're enslaved. And God can work and act in amazing ways, even at those low points of your life. And it all flows from an attitude in Joseph's heart. You know, in a pity party, there wouldn't be much God could do. If Joseph had run away, there wouldn't be much God could do. But Joseph stays there in the situation he finds himself. And he has this attitude that he's going to make the best he possibly can of that situation. He's doing what Paul wrote about. Joseph's considering that his present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in him. And as a result of that response, suffering is taking him up, not down. Circumstances will contradict your dreams. Always, always, always. And so therefore, when a, when a door closes, let's not say, oh, God's closing the door, unless he's clearly spoken to us and said that. How do you know it's God and not some measly demon? How do you know it's God and not some random circumstance of life? You know, if God said you were to go through that door, then keep kicking at it until it opens again. God will not allow circumstances to hinder his plan. But often we do. And we need to start expecting the contradiction. That the the circumstances of life will be working against God's plan. That there's opposition to anything worthwhile we do in life. And the devil sows seeds of doubt in our minds. He'll try and belittle us. He'll try and make us feel too small for the dream. He'll try and make us feel like those spies that went into the promised land and came back saying that they were grasshoppers in the sight of of the Canaanites. He'll contradict your, your dream in any way he possibly can. 
And if your dream is not being contradicted, I was asked this, is your dream big enough? You know, in this church, in in Junction Church in Aberdeen and Inverness, we have a big dream. And there is opposition along the way. But we need to to learn to expect that, not to, to dread it, not to fear it. And just to take it as it comes and trust God every step of the way. How will you react when the contradiction comes? There'll be a temptation to give up. There'll be a temptation to settle for less. But resist it. Don't accept any substitute for the high calling of God. Will you be robbed by some pathetic demon who sticks an obstacle of circumstance in front of you? Will you be robbed by some trivial circumstance? Will you be robbed by some present suffering which is not worth comparing to the future glory? Believe what God's spoken despite the circumstances. The Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. What does walking by sight mean? It means walking by what our five senses are telling us. It means walking by circumstances. It means living our life by um, the, the, the situations that we find ourselves in. But there's another way. And that's living by faith. That's living according to the word of God and allowing it to guide us and allowing it to be our compass in life. In our world, people have come to expect instant results. And often we expect the same when we're building the dream. We we don't like the donkey work. We don't like those tough times. We don't like the, the struggle. We want results now or at very least next month. But, you know, sometimes it takes longer and we can't fully understand that. We just need to to, to realize sometimes it takes longer. Look look what Paul says in Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And we need to learn this secret too. Paul's not saying that, that being hungry is a good thing. Paul's not saying that, um, that, that we should just accept being in need the, for the rest of our lives. You know, if you're in need, pray to get out of it. But don't take yourself out of the call of God just so that you won't be in need. At times like these, God is preparing us. God is looking at our hearts. God is is looking for something inside of us which will keep trusting him regardless of circumstance. Perseverance is vastly underrated in modern society and perhaps in modern church. When we persevere in the tough times, we're growing ourselves for the next stage of God's call. Despair will take us out of God's plan. A wrong attitude will take us out of God's plan. We won't enter into the next stage of his calling if we give up in those tough times. One of the tough times in my life was, uh, was when I was a, a newly qualified teacher. Kate had just given up work to, to look after baby Becca. And uh, I was um, out there trying to, to earn a bit of money. I don't know if there are any um, teachers here tonight, but um, I reckon newly qualified teachers have it easy these days. Um, Because when you qualify, you get a year's work guaranteed with an 80% timetable. You know, that is luxury to what we went out into. Uh, We were thrown into the supply system working uh, 
full timetable. Um, one school one day, one, another school the next day. And um, I worked 12 different schools in my first year of teaching. And um, some of those schools were, were um, from the pit of hell, I reckon. <laughs> I remember one class, and I was um, I was trying to teach them something. Um, when um, I, well, I, I turned my head to write something on the board, and um, a, a ball of paper came flying up from the back of the class. And so I bent down behind the desk to pick up the bo- ball of paper. And as I bent down, there was a crash as this lump of wood bounced off the wall. And. <laughs> Another day, I went into this absolutely notorious school. Um, during the year, I was doing some work there. They, they had a riot. Fortunately, I wasn't there for the, for the riot day. The, the, kids, the kids raided the, um, the baker's delivery van in the, in the playground and took out all the bread rolls and, and um, proceeded to throw them everywhere. The management of that school hated to exclude people, but there were 17 exclusions that day. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, I wasn't there for that. But uh, on one occasion, I went into this, this classroom, and I could tell the minute I stepped through the door that it was, um, uh, this class was there for nothing but um, get some entertainment beating the supply teacher. And, of course, I don't know their names or, or anything about them, which is a big hindrance. And... Um, so, for some reason in this class, the girls were sitting at one side and the, and the boys were sitting at another side. And um, the boys start, every time I look down at the desk um, to try and get the work or whatever, and the boys start pinging things and the girls start singing a rude song. And I, I look up and the pinging and the, and the singing stops. And then I, I look down again and, I'm, and it all starts again and I'm... I'm trying to look three ways at once and start the lesson. Um, and then in the midst of that, I get a nosebleed. And <laughs> I'm behind the desk trying to, um, trying to get the, mop up the blood. Uh, while um, from one side of the, the, the class, things are pinging through the air. On the other side of the class, this song is ringing out. And... Um, you know, on days like that, I would really have liked to, um, to move to a different part of the country and get a, and get a full-time job, um, because I knew that I could. This was the thing. Um, there, were, there were no permanent jobs going in Ayrshire, but I knew that, that elsewhere, and particularly down in England, uh, I could be walking into a, a full-time permanent job, and the temptation was great. Every door was closed there to um, a full-time job. Every door would have been open in another part of the country. But God wasn't saying move. God was saying stay. Um, because God had called us to, um, to stay at that time in Ayrshire to support Pastor John and Pastor Rachel uh, in building the church there. And, you know, that was, that was a tough time. That was a time definitely of present suffering. But I took the decision, I, I'm going to stick this out because these present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that God wants to reveal through me. Back to Joseph. 
Things seem to be looking up for Joseph. He's working away in Potiphar's house. He's got excellent favor. And um, we don't know what's going through Joseph's head at this time. But I would guess he's beginning to think things like this. My master really trusts me. I'm doing a great job. Um, One day he's going to say, you can have your freedom. One day he's going to say, why not be my, my key servant instead of a slave? One day he's, he's going to, say, to, to make me the, the main man here and um, take these shackles off my wrists. And then suddenly his world falls to pieces. Can anyone identify with that? Just when you're, when you're getting up out of the dip in life and things just beginning... I seem to be beginning to get back together again. And then suddenly it's ten times worse than it was before. (laughs) And Joseph ends up in prison. And uh, he's in prison on a false charge. um, Which is particularly irritating. I've got um, an endorsement on my driving license at the moment. For having an underinflated tire. And it, it rather irritated me when I, when I got that. I felt, it was, um, I felt it was a bit unfair. But actually it was completely fair because the tire was underinflated and, and <laughs> technically I was breaking the law. But if I'd been set up for that, if the, if the policeman had come along and let some air out of my tire and then given me the, the booking, I would, have, I would have been seriously irritated by that. And that's the situation that Joseph's in here. He's, been, he's totally innocent, and yet he's been, he's been locked up for a serious crime. And who knows what's going to happen to him now. They didn't keep many people in prison in those days. They, they tended to either set them free or chop their heads off. And um, with Joseph, the latter was probably more likely. But... Again, we see this attitude coming out in Joseph's life. Genesis 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. God's there when you're in slavery. God's there when you're in prison. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, you can see here how dangerous it is to measure God by the prevailing circumstances. Every circumstance, if you'd measured it by the circumstances, you would have said, God's gone, God's left you to rot there. But the opposite was true. The circumstances were grim, But God is right there in the midst of them. And he's right there in the midst of your circumstances too. And see Joseph's attitude. He never falters in serving God and serving the men he's he's put under. You know, we know the end of the story. We know that one day everything changes for Joseph. We know that one day he goes from the prison to the palace. We know that one day God vindicates him. And he goes from poverty to riches. He goes from slavery to freedom. And everything changes for him. But Joseph doesn't know this. Joseph, yes, he can get glimpses into the future. But Joseph doesn't really know what's going to happen here. All he knows is this principle. That his present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in him. Near the end of Jesus' life. 
he had a choice to make. He sits there in the garden and he's heading for the cross. And he's got a choice. Am I going to focus on, on the present suffering or am I going to focus on the glory to come? And here's his response in, in the midst of that dilemma, in the midst of that struggle. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus has reached a point where there's, there's nothing in it for him. There's no benefit for him personally in going to the cross. But there's an opportunity to build the kingdom. And there's an opportunity for God to reveal his glory in him. Jesus can choose the comfortable option or Jesus can choose the most painful path that anyone will ever walk. We'll never face that decision, but daily we face choices. Daily we face choices. How will I respond to this pressure? How will I respond to this difficult situation? What will my response be? Because usually there's an easy way out of, of our struggle. And it will take us out of the plans and purposes of God also. Leave the job. Leave the marriage. Leave the church. Leave the dream. Neil Meyer spoke in our church many, many years ago. And, and the one thing I remember from his message is this. He said, quitting is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. We have choices to make in life. How do we respond to the pressure? How do we respond to the suffering? Life will throw a lot of things at you. And sometimes it seems that life throws more things at you when you're closely following God. But let's get these in in perspective. These are the present sufferings. They're the preparation for the glory of God to be revealed in your life. Here's... Jesus responds, summarized in Hebrews 12.2. We're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here's a crucial key. Jesus knew that there was joy set before him. And you know, if... If I'm where God has called me to be and I'm serving, I'm serving God and I'm serving people, then there is joy set before me also. And the same is true for you. It may be tough. It may be painful. But remember, that's just the present suffering. It in no way compares to the future glory. And so as we serve, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's imitate him. Let's endure hardship, which can never compare to his Let's scorn the shame and let's look forward to the victory which our perseverance will bring about. God wants to reveal his glory to creation and he wants to reveal it through you. He wants you to shine like a light in the darkness. And as you focus, as you make a choice to focus on the future glory rather than the present suffering, he's shaping you, he's molding you, he's transforming you. To shine brighter and brighter, revealing more and more of him to the watching world.
listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.